This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why don't you sing a song about Gallery Nucleus? Yeah, a Gallery Nucleus song. Gallery, Gallery, Gallery Nucleus, Gallery Nucleus. Would you join me if you were? What, Charlie? Would you join me? Sure. Gallery. 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 Oh, Welcome to the Draftsman Podcast. We are here today with Ben Zhu, who is the founder, owner, and curator of Gallery Nucleus in Alhambra. And and you haven't officially met Ben Zhu? I haven't. How you doing, Ben? Nice to meet you. Hi, Stan. Nice to meet you. Well, now you've met. Yeah. <laughs> we can begin. Yeah. We can begin. I've, I feel like I already know you because I've seen, I've watched you guys' videos. Nice. But Stan, you probably don't feel like you know Ben. No. Yeah. No. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Ben, we have a tradition of an awkward introduction. <laughs> you, and thank you. For... fulfilled our obligation. So now we should move into this conversation. Ben, when did I meet you? Was it 2002, I think? Wow. A while ago. Yeah, I think. How, how did I meet you? I think I met you. I took one of your classes. <laughs> I could have guessed. When did you start Gallery Nucleus? I started in 2004. What was your first show there? Uh, our first show was October of 2004. It was called The Main Event because we were on Main Street. Uh, Chris, Chris Abelhans was in there. My buddy Ron Kurniawan was in there. Katia Chen, Jamie Dollars. I know James Jean was in there. It was mostly my close friend at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right around that time, uh, there were a number of my former students who were going into the industry who got into your into shows at Gallery Nucleus. And so when I would go to the openings on Saturday nights, everybody in the entertainment industry of animation and comics, uh, graphic novels, uh, was was there. So it was just one of the most amazing networking opportunities. And I have met more of my students 
families and best friends at show openings at Gallery Nucleus than I have at weddings and funerals combined. So it's been, you named it Gallery Nucleus, and it really became a nucleus of talent. And every time DreamWorks and, and Disney and Blue Sky and these places do movies, the art of stuff usually debuts at your gallery. Is that correct? That is correct. Oh, wow. This is a big deal to have Ben as our guest. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, ben, most of our audience have heard us talk about what happens if you want to make a living. And it is typically if you're going to make a living in something that's going to get printed or published and have a mass audience. Whereas if you are going to be represented by a gallery where people who are walking in there to see the work, it's a, it's a different set of dynamics, I think, but that's what we want to ask you about. If a person says, I do original artwork, I want to be repped by a gallery, you are a person who can answer some of these questions. Correct. Tell us what the history of Gallery Nucleus has been and how you dealt with it because you did not set out to start a gallery. Is that correct? No, no. My, my, my background is art. That's why I took a lot of your classes. <laughs> and uh, I, I worked in video games for a little bit. I worked in animation for a little bit. Um, but uh, the background of the gallery, it really just started because of, I, I saw a need um, back in 2004 and even now there's not many galleries like it, but I, I am a big art nerd. I love entertainment art. I love, you know, art from video games and animated films and, you know, background paintings and storyboards. Like to me, all of that is amazing. It's because I've, I've learned my background is animation and, uh, illustration that I sort of appreciate a, a, a very wide scope of art, I think. Um, especially within the sort of illustrated arts. <laughs> uh, sorry, Ben. That one was the, a loud sound. One I of don't... the prints just fell off the background. We're just going to leave that there. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> We're going to act like it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Ben, you, if you want to just start start right over here. Well, we're going to go keep that in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, keep, uh, I would say keep, keep, the, thought keep going the thought going instead of redoing it. <laughs> because of my background, I thought there should be a space devoted to uh, showing this type of artwork. The leap from being an art student and an artist and working in video games to opening up a retail store in a gallery is, is not a logical leap for some people. So, that's part of what I'm getting at is why did you do this? You're hosting your friend's art, yes, but you're also taking on a world of trouble of running a retail store. The easy answer is that I was naive and young <laughs> and I thought I could do it. I thought, I, aside from, you know, feeling like there was a need, I was in a headspace where I was sort of exploring, finding myself. I had just uh, finished through, uh, about three years on Call of Duty 1, working on uh, as a background artist, doing 3D modeling, texture, lighting, all that stuff. Um, and that was great. And that was like, you know, that was pretty much what I wanted to do when I graduated. I knew I probably was going to get into animation and visual development. I thought I wanted to explore like the business side of things a little bit. Um, I wanted to try something I was kind of scared of, something different before I, before I went back into sort of the art industry. Um, there was other, there's other factors like 
like my, I felt somewhat of pressure from my parents to uh, do something aside from art. Really? Without going too, too deep into like the psychology of it. <laughs> um, like I said, because I was sort of soul searching, I wanted to try something very different than what I've known pretty much all my life, which is art. I, I thought, okay, well, my parents have always wanted me to, they've always encouraged me to do business. They support my art, but I think in the background, they've always wanted me to do some business related thing. And so I thought I would try it in my, in my own terms and, uh, you know, thought I would open a gallery slash coffee shop. Um, I knew that the gallery aspect is something I wanted to do. I wanted to definitely showcase my friend's artwork and just not just my friend's artwork, but just amazing artwork that's out there in terms of entertainment, art and illustration. And then the coffee side was like, that was just something ancillary that for people to hang out. But I didn't know the first thing about coffee and I wasn't about to, there was already too much learning to do. So I just kind of, Decided, oh, you know, I'm, I love books. I collect books myself. So, why not have a, have part of it be a bookstore? And that sort of allows people to engage in a, um, in a more commercial manner or like, you know, just sort of attract them through like, oh, it's a bookstore. But then once they get inside, it's more than a bookstore. It's primarily an art gallery. So... I don't know if that answers your question. Do you want to give us a little uh, list of who you've hosted there? Oh, man. That's so many people. <laughs> I, there are so many people. There have been so many shows that you've had there. Yeah. I mentioned James Jean earlier. I mentioned, okay, we've had Justin Sweet. I'm trying to think of artists that you guys have had on the show as well. You had a Drew Struzan show. We did. That was a huge one. Yeah. Drew Struzan. We also had uh, Bob Peake. That's right. Okay, Stan, what do you want to ask Ben? As a student, I would want to know, what do I do to begin the process of getting into a gallery? Like, what are the first five things I need to make sure I have ready before I even walk in? Or do I walk in? Do I email? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I think, I think, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I think, yes, you can walk in, you can email... Um, one thing, quick tip is that when you email, don't ask if you can show them your art. Put your art in the email. <laughs> Put a right. link to your art in the email already. I show get so many of those. Yeah. I get so many emails where they say, can I show you my art? Do you say no? <laughs> <laughs> I don't say no. I usually point them to, uh, I, eventually I learned to just point them to our submission section on our website. Okay. So, we've kind of streamlined our process where we have, you know, all the submissions go through to our submissions email and if they did that, that's already a good sign that they're like reading and really researching our website. Um, yeah. And then we look at those as a group, like as a team, um, every, I wouldn't say like about every month or so. Okay. What percentage of the people you represent came from them submitting to you versus you reaching out to artists that you want in your gallery? Good question. That is a good question. Um, I think it's definitely more of us reaching out to the artists. I want to say the percentage of artists reaching out to us is probably 
I want to say somewhere around 10, 15% maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. I think walk-ins, maybe a little bit more people who we've, are people who have been suggested to us by other artists. So, that's a, that's a, I would put that in a higher percentage. But people who... Mm. Oh, the walk-ins. Yeah, I was going to say like people who like we've met at shows who I've actually interfaced with, that helps a little bit more. Um, and who've like shown me their work, like, you know, they'll literally pull up their phone and this is my work on Instagram or whatever, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but just, just submitting through our submissions, I'll be honest, a lot of the stuff that goes into our submissions email is not, you can just tell like, oh, this is like completely different from what we do. Hmm. Oh, it doesn't even just fit the gallery. It doesn't. They're just like, oh, well, this is the submissions area. I'll just throw whatever. Um, it, it's not entertainment art. It's not animation. It's not any of the, you know, the, the primary genres that we're, that we're, uh, we're focused on. Okay. So, aside from being, or being the type of artist that you actually represent, what else can I do to stand out and get you to look at and say, yes, I, I want to represent that guy? Well, see, as a student, it may be a little bit different than as a... Or not as, I guess not as a student, as a, as a kind of a, someone just beginning the process of becoming a professional, I guess. Our gallery is definitely a little bit different than a lot of other galleries, um, just because of the, t the nature of the art we show is, is a little bit more commercial based. Um, I think if you know if you're like for example like a figure painter right you may be looking for a different type of gallery than than gallery nucleus and the way you would approach that gallery would be slightly different so i'll give you both approaches um okay if you yeah. were like a fine art painter and yeah like and you were approaching like galleries in laguna or whatever um definitely have you know, a, a, a body of work. And when I say body of work, have like a series, you know, don't just have like, um, oh, it's, it's, this, it's this figure here and then this figure is doing this other thing or whatever. Have it look as a, like a cohesive body of work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like not a just a bunch of... of, yeah, not just a bunch of studies. Have it all sort of like look better as a set. You know what I mean? And I would say have maybe like six different paintings or drawings or whatever it is. And have that on your, you know, have your, obviously have a presentable website, um, social media. Okay, that's the big thing now is a web. So, you have to, the artists should have their own website and social you media. Where have your own website. If not your own website, at least your own Instagram. But to, if you, to show them that you mean business, you should definitely have a website <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with, okay. yeah. with your body of with your body of work and you know websites now are like they're so cheap to build and yeah but primarily i think the way to approach them is to have your your thing first you know have have your body of work and even before you approach them really research the galleries that's the primary thing like is this gallery showing other artists that i love or the other type of work that I resonate with, you know, because you don't want to be showing, like I said, abstract expressionism to like a figurative gallery and you don't want to show, you know, and vice versa. Just know sort of the, what the gallery is about first. 
For us, getting into Nucleus, there's, a, there's other ways to get into Nucleus. If you worked on a, a, on a TV show or an animated thing that, we, that we're fans of or that we're going to eventually do a show for, you may have no gallery experience at all. But because you worked on that show, you know, we'd love to have you in the gallery as part of that show. Or because you're known for, let's say you're an artist that's like known for drawing cats. And if we have a cat show and you're the cat artist or one of the cat artists, that's another way to get into the gallery. Okay. So this flips it on its head. It's not, I want to go to Gallery Nucleus and get my work in there so that the industry will know about me. This is, I need to go into the industry and <laughs> do good work and make a name for myself. And then Ben will say, hey, we would like to represent you in our, we'd like to show your work in our gallery. That's definitely the easier way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the easier way. Have you ever represented someone who never did any work on a show or a movie, but just had the right look, the right style that kind of just fits into the gallery? Definitely, definitely. There's an artist from the Philippines, her name is Maul, and she, she came in through an open submission show. We have a show that we do every year called Power Numbers, where everything is... I believe it's five by seven inches and all the pieces are $100. That's a show we've been doing for a long time. And so, she somehow got in there. I don't even remember to be honest how she got in, but it was either someone, one of our friends, uh, one of, you know, someone who was working here at the time may have been a fan of her work or she had maybe gone through even submissions. It's possible that she submitted some of her work that way. And then we showed her in one show and then it sold in that show. We had her in another show. Another power numbers sold in that show, and we tried having her in a slightly larger group show, and then sold that way. And so she's just doing her own thing. She has nothing. She's never, you know, worked in animation. She's never illustrated a picture book. You know, she just does her her paintings. But she was so good that she get, she just caught your eye and got into the into the gallery. And and is that a continuing relationship then that she sells stuff? Pretty much 15, at least 15 years she's been working with us. Wow. Wow. Is What makes her stand, or, or what made you accept her, or what makes her stand out? Is it her, the quality of her work is so high, or is she unique and she stands out? It's both. I mean, I've got, I've got, we can get into that, but like, I've got like some lists of like what exactly what we're looking for. Because I, I prepped for this, I was like, all right, I'm going to have you, I'm going to give you exact lists. <laughs> This is the gallery nucleus criteria list. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest job post. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. This is okay. So these are more of like what I, what we consider like to be, I guess, quote unquote, good. <laughs> um, so technique, skill, and execution is number one. Uh, was this created with you know obviously obvious skill? Does the work look intentional uh is there any are the happy accidents intentional happy accidents <laughs> intentional accidents <laughs> intentional happy accidents yeah, um, that's interesting are the artists doing something unique with the technique something that's not easily replicated that's the other thing that we're looking for if you if you do if you work in traditional media that's a huge leg up for you because there's a lot of artists doing digital and nothing against digital. I love digital work and there's amazing digital artists. But in terms of just this is from a strictly business standpoint and I'm sure we can get into a whole conversation about NFTs. But <laughs> uh, original art is still holds its value better than anything else. 
and it ha- commands value better than anything else. Wow, that's interesting to know. Yeah, is the artist using the medium in a competent manner? Is there, you know, actual craftsmanship that went into creating the piece? So that's all part of technique, skill, and execution. Second is presentation. Presentation is very important as well. How is the piece framed? How is the piece even presented online? The scale of the work. Third one being emotional resonance. Mm-hmm. Is the piece, you know, does it, does it evoke something? Is it awe-inspiring? Does it make someone happy or sad or is it, is it frightening? Does it make a statement in that way, right? Does it mm-hmm. give you some sort of a gut reaction? The fourth one, and this isn't always true, but like cultural relevance. What is this piece going to be? Is it going to be interesting 100 years from now? You know, a lot, obviously a lot of the pieces that are tied to like properties that will have cultural significance because it's related to a specific show or something. Mm-hmm. Is it part of the greater cultural conversation? Number five is uh, originality. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean that you know it's this person's work. You, you don't mistake it for another person's work because this is a, a new take on something. Exactly. Exactly. If you want to give positive examples of them, for any of them that stand out for originality that you just said, uh, whatever else, the originality of it is enough to where we want this, we want to be part of this. Going back to your first question about like approaching art galleries, art galleries are definitely looking for something that's different. They're not looking for you to like, to paint like Sargent or whatever, you know, um, unless you're like painting exactly like Sargent. <laughs> <laughs> or painting as well. Yeah. <laughs> they want to be able to like market you as you, you know, so someone whose work I can immediately identify as that being that person's work. That helps a lot in, uh, in approaching an art gallery and being original. So, those are five things that Gallery Nucleus, you and your colleagues look for. Yes. And it's, it includes a wide smattering of styles. So, it's not like you're locked into one thing. What is the, the unifying factor seems that it has been, it's almost all entertainment art? Um, not always. We do show like background paintings from time to time. We'll show illustrations that don't have to do with, that are not linked to a specific property. But the, I think the common link is that they're all representational and they're all somewhat narrative. Okay. Mm. So, like abstract expressionism is probably not going to show up here. <laughs> yeah. Is that statistically unusual for a gallery in LA or in, in just in California in general that it's a, that you've got a lot of narrative art. Yeah, I, I don't know too many galleries like that. I know that, you know, in New York, there's probably some. And I think there's a lot of galleries that have it from, maybe from, uh, from older works. But contemporary illustration, contemporary narrative art, there's not many that I know of. They're out there, there's just not that many of them. Is, the, is your Alhambra gallery the only gallery that you have? Or do you have another one? We do have another one. We have one in uh, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And they, their, their vibe somewhere? is slightly different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's the difference? They don't do, they don't do as much entertainment uh, related art. They don't do as much like animation stuff for sure. They're a little bit more on that edge of illustration and fine art. Um, so, they have shown a little more figurative stuff. 
they they'll try work that's less tied to to uh, specific properties, um, things that are a bit more pop. And when I say pop art, I don't mean like I'm talking about more like like Andy Warhol type pop art where it's recognizable, but it's it's not related directly to like a property. So it, theirs doesn't necessarily have to be uh, narrative anymore. There's not necessarily narrative, but it's still okay. It's it it, it goes more into like graphics, uh, like graphic design, a little more. Uh, it goes a little bit more abstract, but still like pretty representational. Yeah, you can you can still know what you're you're seeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can still tell. It's tuna yeah. cans, but very graphic tuna cans. <laughs> he said Warhol's. Campbell Soup, Marilyn Monroe, pop icons. Okay, so how do how do I keep my position at the gallery? How do I make sure I don't screw it up and you know ruin the relationship and you know working with galleries? Yeah, we'd love stories. <laughs> oh yeah, stories. <laughs> oh man, that's the real question. I'll try to, I'll try to think of some. I'll try to think of some. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to ruin a relationship with a gallery. <laughs> oh really? Well, good. good. To give us, give us the, the, the five worst <laughs> things that can happen if you're in a gallery and then we'll get to the positive stuff. <laughs> I have a, I'll, I'll just read off my list of pretty much a, a little bit of both there. Um, number one is don't be late. That's a very obvious one. Don't be, don't be late. If you have a show coming up, you got to get all the stuff <laughs> shipped to you. By a certain day. Yep. Because yep. We, okay. we, we try to give them very real deadlines. We try not to pad our deadlines. But we definitely give them the deadlines up front and be like, okay, this is when we need the art. And, you know, this is when we need the marketing materials or, or whatever. Yeah. You, know, this- you got to promote the show in order for it to be successful. So, exactly. You need exactly. Dates. Number two, very important. You must respond promptly. This is probably the easiest way to, to not work with a gallery <laughs> is, <sighs> is to just ghost us. I, oh, that. It's, it makes our jobs so difficult where we don't hear from an artist, you know, everything's like moving, you know, there's momentum. It was like, oh yeah, back email, back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden, just weeks with nothing. So, this is related to not being late and that this is just respect for the other party's time. Yeah, exactly. Well, those are big deals. Yeah, that, that, I can see why that would, that would we be. We start sweating. We start like, well, is this... Is this person still alive? Are we still, is the show still happening? You know, that happens. And, you know, luckily sometimes they're like, oh, hey, they come through a little bit later. And they're like, oh, sorry, you know. And that's fine. But there are other times where we just come, you know, we just don't hear from them. And that's. Wow. Okay. Have you had to cancel shows because. We have. It's very rare, Mm -hmm. but that's part of like us picking the right people to work with. Have you had to cancel a show even after you've promoted it? That's rare. I think okay. it's very rare. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't need to pick at all the details of how bad it can get. <laughs> we get the idea, don't be late and also respond quickly because it's, it's, a, it's a real-time relationship and there is a deadline. It's like any other relationship. You have your expectations, you set up your expectations and you try to meet those expectations. So, if we both agree on having X number of pieces at the gallery by this date, then we try to do that. You know, if, if there's some difficulty, the sooner they can tell me the better, then we can try to, I don't know, minimize the risks that way. 
But um, but yeah, a huge part of the gallery curator's job or the huge part of our day is following up with artists from different shows and just checking in and saying, hey, how's it going here? How's it going there? See, this is another thing that's different from our gallery than, another, than some of the other galleries. Um, our gallery, we work with a lot of artists who are working, you know, commercial day jobs on animation or, you know, illustrating other things, freelance, whatnot. They're not doing this full time. So, we do need to check in with them a little bit more to make sure that they're allocating enough time. And we try to ask artists and get them to agree on the show like at least six months in advance, but I prefer over like a year or more in advance. Oh, wow. And there are shows that we plan out. Yeah. With some of our artists that we've, that we've shown for a long time, we plan out shows because we have that sort of relationship. We plan out shows like Three years in advance sometimes. Three years in advance. So, the artist has to just kind of hold on. Are, when you start planning a show, is the artwork already created? Or do they, you guys come up with a theme or a thing that you're, they're supposed to do and then they go and they have, to, they have three years to execute on it? Uh, they don't, ha- the, sometimes we know that we're going to have a show and we don't have a theme. Sometimes we know we're going to have a show and they already have a theme in mind. Okay, but then they, have to, they still have to go create the art. They still have to create the art. Most, okay. very rarely do artists already have the art. Sometimes they'll have like half the show done already, you know, or like a couple pieces within the show that then we're like, oh yeah, that's a series. Keep working, you know, keep building on that. Um, but there are, for like some of our children's book shows, for example, the art is done for the book. So that, in those cases, the art's done. But when we're doing a solo exhibition for an artist and it's not tied to a property or anything like that, generally the art is not created yet. What kind of shows do you have where it's not connected to a property? Like what are the themes? Just give me some examples. Like one of the artists that we've worked with for a long time, Junko Mizuno, she's a comic book artist. She's done a lot of manga manga in Japan and she also just has her own sort of like sensibility her own paintings they're not they're not like based on they're not based on anything specific so for example like she did a we did a theme show that was all based on food because she loves food so all the paintings were food related (laughs) that's great (laughs) yeah or we'll do one that's based on like japanese uh uh you know folk tales or something like that you know yeah, so the artists come up with their own sort of themes so that they can tie themselves to something so that they can create, get inspired to create the work. Yeah, we have a show uh, behind me right now. This artist, Philip Vos, who's an amazing artist, he works in animation, but we didn't pick him necessarily because of his animation work. What's behind me is actually his own personal work, which is very much children's book. Um, like. Like it's very different than his like entertainment art. It's all real media and it's all children's book um, sensibilities. And the theme for this show is more just like there's. It's a very loose theme. It's all the imagery is sort of like, like for example, like something that could be in a fable, something that could be in a children's book. They're all sort of whimsical. You know, sometimes the, it's not a a direct theme that ties all the work together. Sometimes it's just sort of a a feeling or a sensibility that ties all the work together. 
can you show us your favorite one? Like, just take one off the wall and just show the camera. Sure. Or are they? Sure. <laughs> are they permanent? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're not permanent. Just, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite. I might, I might have to pick two or three. Hold on one sec. Okay. But this is nice to be able to see him yeah. walk around the gallery. I'm just really curious because they're so small. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Hey, welcome back, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. So, artist again, Philip Vos. Is that watercolor? It's a mixed media. It's acrylic, color pencil, and I believe there might be some gouache. But it's primarily acrylic. Uh, and color pencil. Okay. Yeah, see, it's just a frog. This one's, I believe it's called frog writing down his thoughts or something like that. <laughs> That's a very, very direct. Yeah. Frog in a garden. It's got a very whimsical feeling, a very innocent sort of illustration style. I love his use of color. It's, it's kind of vintage and, and uh, contemporary at the same time. But his... He's got a real warmth to the way he portrays the subject matter. So, there's that one. This one here. Mm -hmm. You guys can see that. Is it a troll? It's a troll under a bridge and there's like trains and there's... Wait, what is that down there? These are, these are, these are bulls. Oh, bull. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the bigger ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. This is reminding <laughs> me though that you have, when you mentioned vintage, you've had some vintage shows. You had uh, one of Robert Fawcett's work as well as Bob Peake's and some others are illustrators of previous generations. Yep. That Al Parker. Al Parker. We had a Al, Al Parker, Parker right. show. Uh, Robert Fawcett was amazing. Uh, he's still one of my favorite draftsmen. Oh, he said it. He yeah. said it. Yeah. That's what, okay, <laughs> this is what we were waiting for. That's why I'm on the show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, so we've got this, uh, this things about working with a gallery and keeping a good relationship is don't be late and respond quickly. Was there a third one after that? Oh, there's more. Okay, I, well, we're, we're listening. Set up the expectation before you create the work and deliver on that expectation. Ooh. So... There's been times where an artist says, oh, yeah, I'm going to make this and this. And then when we get the work, it's totally different. Like, don't do that. <laughs> if you're going to change halfway through or you're going to evolve or you change your idea, let the gallery know so that we're not surprised. Because from a promotional standpoint, we got to know how to, you know, how to, what angle we're going at this. Yeah, good. Consistency. 
uh, don't have your other exhibitions too close together. So, for example, if you're going to show at our, our gallery, don't have another solo exhibition two months prior or even three months prior. I mean, if it's a solo exhibition, you should have those like maybe twice a year and like super spread out at best, but preferably you know, just like once a year for a solo exhibition. You, artists usually generally do like one solo and then maybe a couple group shows within the year. But yeah, that's one thing is a schedule because sometimes we don't know what the artist's other shows are. But if, they, if they're just trying to like bite off too much, you know, they have too many shows back to back, it can, it can make some of them not feel as special. So, that's a, that's a marketing thing too, right? That's where you're, you're not as unique as you thought you were as you're promoting this artist. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. Let's see. Okay. So, the next one is uh, make sure to stay consistent with your prices. Um, for example, if the gallery, one of the, the jobs of the gallery is to help you sort of manage your prices. And I'll get into this later of sort of like why a gallery or what the gallery provides and sort of the importance of the gallery. But, you know, as an artist, you don't want to sell your work at a gallery at one price and then sell it to your friends at another price. I mean, if it's your close friend, whatever, I don't, we won't get into that. But, but like. Not publicly selling it to your. Keep it a secret. Exactly. Don't undercut yourself. And it's also for yourself too. You know, don't just think, oh, well, the gallery, if I sell it here, I'm not. Uh, you know, the, I'm not sharing my pr- profits or whatever, but at the same time, you're also hurting the value of your own work. Mm-hmm. Don't randomly sell work on your website or on your website without letting the gallery know. This is especially important if you're represented by a gallery and they're doing a lot of shows with you. You don't just want to suddenly start uh, flooding your own market. What if they are already selling a bunch of work on their website and then they come to you and they're... Some artists do do that. I think... It depends. That That's a case by case. Um, it depends what they're selling on their site. You know, sometimes if it's different enough, then it might be okay. Um, but like the more we definitely as a gallery, we definitely want the more significant um, pieces. Significant could be larger. Significant can be, you know, for example, maybe you sell like pencil sketches on your site and we sell the paintings or things like that. Um, but But generally... All majority of your sales should go through the gallery. Um, okay, so here's some things that we do encourage. Definitely, we encourage you to continue promoting your own work. Don't leave all the marketing up to the gallery. Hmm. Um, we encourage to keep communication open with the gallery and let let the gallery know of uh, any updates and progress. You know, like some artists, they're really great at it. They're they're posting teasers on Instagram. They're posting, they're sending us their progress shots, things like that. If there's any problems, if there's any drama, okay, this hasn't happened with us so much, but I can, I know that with like other, there's been other situations with other galleries, you know, and just in terms, this is just a good rule in general. Like, don't suddenly turn to social media and have that be your soapbox. Mm. Like, approach the gallery about it first. See if there's something that, you know, whatever gripe that you have with them or whatever you're not comfortable with, like talk to them, have a conversation about it. They're there to work with you. Like a gallery and artist is very much a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best, the most successful artists or the most successful 
careers they have is like having a good relationship with the gallery. Those are uh, the primary things on my list. Yeah, that was something that came up early, I think maybe in the first season that we were doing this podcast, is students who ruin their reputations or people who ruin their reputations because they have trouble with an employer or trouble with with, uh, anyone that they're working with and they immediately turn to the public to try to get people on their side and then it just it shows that that's where you go you didn't go to them and you didn't work it out you tried to get a turn it into a public drama yeah so you haven't had that happen but you've seen it happen with other galleries yeah yeah sure i'm curious but <laughs> but then you'd be doing it wouldn't you yeah when you can't reach someone i get it but if they're within emailing that you know if you're already on like talking basis yeah, you can't do it on your own, so you have to call call in the public as a cop. Unless you do have to. <laughs> but but yeah, usually, yeah, if you already have a relationship, you probably don't have to. Um, I wanted to ask more about pricing because I'm sure a lot of yeah. people have want to know more. You you mentioned you want to be consistent. Um, so that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but wh- where do people start though? Like if, if they're just getting into galleries, how do they start pricing their work when there is nothing consistent yet? How do you figure it out? That is a really good question. Uh, pricing, honestly, can almost be its own, like, episode. <laughs> <laughs> we just released it today. <laughs> That's hilarious. We just released the pricing episode. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Yeah, today. Yeah. It's public today. I mean, public today. We're recording on the same day. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. For those with no prior history, um, it would kind of depend on a couple different things. So... It depends on the nature of the show. Like if it's a large group show that's related to a property, we kind of generally have a rough range that we we start with. What do you know what that, or I mean, what is that range? It depends on like, okay, is it a pencil drawing? Is it a, mm, yeah, yeah. a painting? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to say exactly. Like we look at the show as a whole. And we go, all right, what is the most expensive piece? And what is the least expensive piece? And why is it that price? Once we can lock down those two, then we can figure out the in-between a little bit easier. So you want to give us a spectrum? Because <laughs> spectrum? You, got, you got the $100 ones, which the 5 by 7s where you do the, where everybody does these and they sell for 100 bucks. And they're 100 bucks? And they're 100 bucks. They're a hundred bucks. They're a hundred bucks. Oh, wow. And you also had, <laughs> you had the Drew Struzan Return to Oz poster in there, which was, if I recall correctly, was it $90,000? I don't remember that one, but I remember, I think it, I think it was the Harry Potter painting that was, God, I want to say it was 300000 Okay. But the thing is that even the spectrum, whether it's between a hundred, a hundred dollars or a $300,000, a hundred dollars and $90,000, we have a wide range. So, for a person first going in, do they just rely on you to tell them, here's what we would sell this for? Here's what we know the market better than you do. So, we're suggesting that this be for this price? Exactly. So, in terms of pricing also depends on the gallery. So, there's sort of a average that the nucleus collectors have come to expect of a certain type of art, right? So, generally, we're in somewhere, I want to say, the $1,000 range. That's probably sort of the average price point for original illustrations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're drawings, sometimes they're a little more painted. So, that's kind of like our 
our starting point. Like we basically have like a rough price per square inch for a certain type of art. And we kind of, we also kind of do comparison to other artists. So for example, um, the artist that we, I just showed you, Philip Vos, he doesn't have a prior history. He's never shown his artwork before. He's never sold his artwork before. So we looked at a lot of other artists that are kind of similar um, that we have shown in the past and kind of what those prices were in the beginning of their career and their current prices during, the, you know, what they are now. And we kind of sort of um, tie it to that. We kind of anchor it to those sort of previous prices of other artists who are also doing similar type work. So, for example, uh, for Philip, it would be other children's book artists or other artists doing their own personal illustrations. And when we show them, and when was their, like, roughly their first show, okay, how much were their pieces going for price per square inch? And we kind of, we kind of anchor it to that. Does that, does that make sense? Does that help? Yeah, but yeah. You, really the square, the square inchage makes a difference in, in, which means that the bigger a piece is, the more likely it's go, going for more money? Smaller work actually is more, in our case, this isn't everywhere, you know, but like in our case, smaller works are generally worth more price per square inch. And as you move up higher and you, as you move up bigger, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. Okay, double the I get size it. Yeah. Doesn't, double the size doesn't mean double the price. Double right. the size, at, once you start getting into really, really large works, the capacity to buy is still only like, you know, you can only push that up so high. Yeah, but the bigger paintings are still more expensive. It's just per, smaller per square inch. It's like a, it's like a curve, like it it's slowly just kind of evens out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get it. That If it's smaller, you're not going to sell it for for 20 bucks yeah. because by, per square inch if you compare it to a big one. I, I, I get the idea that it does size does make a difference. It's just not the only factor. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, we, we... So, for example, we try to tell... As an artist, too, when you're creating a series of work, you know, you should think about specific sizes. Don't have like... Don't jump all over with sizes. Don't have like small pieces and large pieces and, you know... I, I always tell artists, if you're going to do a solo show, try to lock yourself down to no more than three sizes. That way, the buyer wow. knows like, okay, this size is roughly this price. And, you know, and also, you yourself, when you show more work in the future, you have your own anchor to look at. You're like, okay, something this size and this medium, this detail was about this price. Okay, so now next year, if I do something that's comparable, you know, same level of detail and medium same size okay how much did i did it how much is it now you know did it increase did it, did it, did it stay the same what performs better um like when all the pieces in the show are like pretty much the same size or roughly the same size or if you have a few hero pieces that are like bigger more complex and then a bunch of like secondary pieces yeah, it, honestly it only it really depends on the artist and the specific mm -hmm. work even i, I would there's no there's no easy answer to that but i know for myself um i've done both ways i've had you know like i've had artists where they've had like one huge hero piece just to sort of help anchor other things just to see like you know it's like you know what this may not sell but i just want to put this one out there 
it elevates the whole show if you have this one really nice piece. Yeah. Exactly. Pricing is also relative is what I'm trying to say. Mm. How much percentage does the gallery take? The standard 50-50. Okay. And then does it go down once the artists are more famous? It doesn't. It doesn't go down. It doesn't? It doesn't. Oh, interesting. I've known uh, artists that they're pretty far into their career where they already have like a large collector base where it goes down to like 30% for the gallery. It's not what you want to hear, is it? (laughs) No, I know know that is the case. It depends on the gallery. It depends on the gallery. Okay. Generally, we try to, and this is purely for survival and business reasons, we try not to uh, go below 50%. There's other things that we we are willing to do. Um, Like, for example, sometimes we'll provide ancillary stuff like, you know, maybe we'll pay for their flight. Maybe we'll cover half the framing cost. Um... Or we'll offer some other sort of benefit. Um, but it's very rare that we sell art when a piece is for sale at Nucleus that we will take less than 50%. Um, obviously, like with Drew Struzan, with Bob, I believe Bob Peake, we took a lower percentage as well. But for Drew Struzan, definitely we took a lower percentage. Um, there's just, there's a certain, certain artists that are really legacy artists that we're willing to, to, um, to do that with. Okay. Yeah. But it takes, it's like 90 99% are in the 50 and then like those top 1% are, you can go lower because they're exactly. pretty much if sell their own stuff. <laughs> if they're commanding, you know, like $20,000 per piece and they're selling it that, at that price, then yeah, we'll go lower. Because it's, it comes down to the level of risk, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you might sell one Drew Struzan and that's like the same as one or all the pieces from another show. Right, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like just to give you, feed you guys a little more, like I, things uh, artists commonly forget is uh, I have a list for that and then I have a list of, of why, why, nucle- uh, why galleries sort of what galleries do and why they exist in, in a way. Yeah. That's a good one actually. Yeah. yeah. One. I, what do you even mean by what artists forget? What? So like sometimes when working with a show, they just like for, okay. So like signing their artwork, a lot of artists forget to sign their artwork. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've purchased, I've purchased a few pieces online from artists and they'll ship it to me and it's not signed. And I'm like, huh. Is that normal? <laughs> like I thought it was going to be signed. <laughs> but yeah, it is disappointing. <laughs> yeah, so so sometimes we'll we'll have to like some galleries will do a certificate of authenticity, you know, um I for us an artist when they sign the art, it kind of foregoes that. Um but for especially with digital art, uh collectors require more like a some sort of certificate that says that, you know, we're vouching for the real, you know, that this is the authentic piece. Um, yeah, but yeah, something that, that artists commonly forget, signing their art is number one. And I'll forget to tell them, you know what I mean? They'll come in, <laughs> they'll bring all their work and it's, you know, the, a show will happen and the pieces are framed and then suddenly we'll notice like, oh, there's no signature. Because so, so the buyer will ask and we're like, ah, oh, no, we forgot to ask the artist to sign the piece. Oh, uh, yeah. 
because a lot of these artists, like I said, they're, they're, they're uh, commercial illustration background. A lot of times they're right. not supposed to sign the piece, you know what I mean? Right. But yeah, that's one thing. And another thing that artists commonly forget, um, if they do frame it themselves, I want to say like half the time they forget to put that little hardware on the back so that you can actually hang the work. The hanging hardware? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because there's different hardware. There's sometimes there's the wire and then other times there's like drilling and that little like, I call it alligator teeth. I'm not sure what it's called. I still, to this day, I should really know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. Of, of all people. Uh, sometimes they forget to tag the gallery in social posts. They're doing all this great marketing, but they forgot to tag. They forgot to say that this is like a, a solo show with Nucleus or whatever. They're just showing off work for like, you don't, people don't know why or when the show is. So that's something that artists forget sometimes. Another one, another big one is they forget to ship it in a safe manner. They'll sh I've had mm. artwork show up in like a bag. Mm. And, you know, I'm like, this is, how do you, uh, plenty of times it's just completely shattered. Mm. You mean the glass that was covering it was shattered? Yeah. There's, I mean, I've had pieces from other countries show up. Like there's no backing on it. There's just, they just oh, shipped it in a wow. frame in a bag with minimal bubble bag. wrap even. You know what I mean? Like if you're shipping it from yeah. another country, you should at least have it a box within a box. Mm. But they, they, they was just like shipped with a hope and a dream, you know, just bubble wrap and a bag and just. The best uh, shipping box I've ever received from an artist was Steve Houston's painting when he shipped it to me. It, he builds custom wooden boxes for his for his for that fit wow. perfectly to and hold his frame perfectly and i had to use a screwdriver to take out like oh, 50 dang. screws i mean it was solid it was a solid wooden box hmm. um <laughs> it wasn't getting destroyed hmm. it was, yeah i mean that, so that's that what you want is, yeah i don't necessarily want that either to be honest. <laughs> you don't want that <laughs> yeah that took me a while yeah no steve steve is his own his own thing but <laughs> he, he he's when he's making it and shipping it himself like that i think that's great I, I mean i guess i do want that to the extent especially if the work is like yeah if it's an expensive really piece expensive, you, you don't want it to be damaged you'll spend five minutes yeah but but generally a box within another box and as long as both are bubble wrapped and have you know peanuts or another layer of bubble wrap like our shipping guy does a great job he knows how to ship it cheaply but still get it there safely. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty much it. This is kind of a third, this is kind of a last one, but um, this is more for our, um, some of our bigger group shows, some of the artists, and we've had to remind them, so it's not as much of a problem anymore, but some of the artists for our sort of bigger group shows where it's related to a property, they'll just assume that we're like a museum and they just won't make it for sale. They'll just think like, oh, I get to just show my art. This is great. Like, no, your piece has to be for sale. <laughs> hmm. So, that's a big one. That's, yeah. I mean, we talk about working with galleries. Like, don't price your work thinking that, oh, no one will buy this. I'll purposely price it high. Like, don't even bring it to me if that's the case. You know what I mean? Don't tease me. Don't tease the buyers. What? Marshall, Marshall gave me a funny look. 
I'm only going to say this if I have the option to edit it out. Yeah, you always have the option. <laughs> did I did I do that? Did you do that with what? Oh. Oh, you, I, did you show? I did do that. I did do that back when- I don't remember, back, Yeah, it was around 2010 when, when the Illustration Academy and, and TAD and, and other things, we had a show there and I had my- uh, And you priced your work I, No, I, 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 I had it not for sale, it was, but it was oh, only it was taking not up for that. Sale. Yeah, it was, it was the- uh, because it was a group show that was to show the teachers of this- <laughs> That's an, There's exceptions. There's exceptions. Don't worry, yeah. there's exceptions. But yeah, I could see that if it's to show the teachers of some yeah college. Then. But boy, you have certainly pressed your finger on the conviction of what was right and wrong that I did not know about nor think about, <laughs> and now I'm sure thinking about it. Ben, thank you for enlightening me. No problem. It's just you know, at the end of the day, art gallery is different from a museum because art gallery is for profit. It's right. You know, it's a business like any other. Yeah. yeah. Well, museums make have to make money too, but they charge for admission. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And ben does not charge for admission. <laughs> I don't. I but mean, I'll charge. I'll charge admission for special events if there's going to be a lot of like things going on that day, like the opening reception. If it's like, for example, when we had our 30th anniversary uh, for Square Enix, there was a lot of things going on. There's like free giveaways. There's you know like uh, photo booths. There's all this activity that will charge for and it's like you know yeah. five bucks or something that's like tickets to a party exactly or um, if there's a panel you know where you're actually like interacting with the artists and getting to ask them questions and you get to get them to sign stuff afterwards that will charge for because we got to rent chairs tables all that stuff but you do those for free sometimes too right um, sometimes we'll do them for free sometimes we'll do yeah those for free. how has the role of the gallery changed if it has changed since the internet because when I, when I got into the gallery world, it was 2004 uh, or two, no, like 2005, six, something like that, seven. Um, and that's like right when the internet was starting to grow. And I, I could see it changing where artists were starting to go online and just like start selling their stuff on their own websites. That became an option. But you started at that around that same time, right? So, you've yeah, kind of exactly, exactly. grown with um, the internet. We started when there was no Facebook. <laughs> I yeah. like to... You know, and like, and uh, I always tell this story, but like our, one of our employees was like, we have to have a MySpace page. <laughs> MySpace page. <laughs> do you still have a MySpace page? <laughs> I'm curious. I wonder if we do. I don't even. I no, I don't think checked. so. I think they've deleted. Yeah. All the old profiles. <laughs> Justin Timberlake owns MySpace now. That's right here. And it's for music apparently. <laughs> Isn't that a funny fact? <laughs> It's like, <laughs> so random. Yeah, I think it was like 10%. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, no, no. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but yeah, like it, the internet has changed, I think, the way galleries operate. And it has changed the role of the gallery a little bit. But I feel like the primary role of the gallery is still very similar um, to what it was before. And I'll, I'll go over that right now, which is... So, primary role of the gallery is to represent the artist. And when I say represent the artist, they're acting as an agent in a way, but in a specific context. You know, we're not like the agent, and some galleries are, they're like a gallery, but also their illustration agent. I've known, I've known uh, galleries to do that. Sometimes, you know, they're like a gallery, but they're also their 
basically they help them get work in other ways as well. So they also help them get commercial work. Exactly. Some galleries do that. Oh, interesting. They're usually illustration agencies slash art galleries. That's not very common. But uh, let's see. To help the artists promote their work so they can focus on making the artwork. That's a big one. That's one big reason why art galleries exist. Artists, you don't want to, to have to represent yourself and to also focus on your art can be daunting for a lot of people. You know, um, I think especially back in the day, there, there was not as, as many ways to get out to the collectors and to reach the, the collectors or the fans, you know. And there is an established network that the gallery has. Right. You have a collector base. Yeah, we have a collector base. We have our newsletter. We have our social media. We have, you know, our walk-in traffic. Um, there's other things. I'll get into that. But, but yeah, so artists, like the gallery should, a good gallery should help the artists promote their work and allow the artists to sort of give them, a, one, give them an excuse to make the work. But two, allow them to focus on making the work. So the gallery helps take care of the business side a little bit more. Because I knew no artists that like, they come to the gallery and they're like, oh, I'm tired of trying to sell all this stuff on my own. You know what I mean? And it's not that they weren't successful at it. Like some, of our, some artists actually do pretty well on their own, but they end up wanting to just go through an art gallery because they're tired of doing all the brokering and negotiating the prices or whatnot and shipping out the piece and, you know. It's a lot, it's a lot to manage on your own. So the art gallery also helps manage the artist's career. For example, we were talking about pricing. Uh, one thing, and when I say their career, I mean specifically their gallery career, their illustration career or, you know, studio career. That's different within the gallery setting. You know, the gallery sort of watches over your prices. They watch over your collectors. They help get your work out there to a wider audience. You know, they're, they're archiving your work. They're very much like managing your career, essentially. So, another reason to be a champion of a specific artist or specific genre. So, some art galleries are like, oh, you know, we only sh we're the art gallery for Southwestern Indian art or cowboy art or whatever, you know. And so, that gallery is very valuable for sort of having that type of work or showing those types of artists. The galleries also exist because they're here to educate the public. I think we do a fair amount of educating the public, primarily because also we're a main street gallery. Like you can just walk in off the street and any, any regular person, you know, there's no, uh, there's no appointment needed. So a lot of general public is just walking in and realizing like, oh my God, there's this artist that I've never heard about or like, what is this work? You know, they're, they're seeing art they're seeing rec illustration art or this type of type of art that they've never seen before you know in a museum regularly so that's kind of also why sort of specifically nucleus exists is to educate the public about this genre of art illustration art narrative art animation art yeah and you serve a pretty big role to collectors too which is curation collectors that look for the type of work that you represent they look for to they look to you to curate the best stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, curation is a big part of it. Um, 
they, they call it, in, within a gallery setting, they call it the program. You know, each gallery has their own sort of program. Some galleries focus on, like I said earlier, like just that one genre, you know, minimalist art or whatever. Um, um, let's see. We also, okay, art galleries also act as a historian archivist for artists, trends, and movements. So, some galleries, they're known for their, for sort of, showing artists within a specific movement. So, for example, like in the early 2000s, one of the galleries, La Luz de Jesus, they're known for showing sort of pop surrealism, you know, yeah. and that was like a movement for a while. And that sort of evolved into various things. But certain galleries have kind of become synonymous with certain genres and certain movements. Um, and so, they become in, in a way like a historian for it. And I think one of the, the values of the nucleus is we have a great deal of artwork from all our past shows posted on our website um, going back almost all the way to like 2004 uh, definitely 2005 but almost 2004 I think so there's this you know this, this catalog of, of things that have happened with throughout the artist's career yeah uh, obviously help artists broker sales introduce their work to a bigger audience uh, oh, here's the big one. Um, represent artists at fairs and conventions. That's something that a lot of galleries do um, as part of sort of promoting their work. But, um, you know, conventions and fairs can be expensive. And to have, and a lot of galleries will go to several different ones in several different states and sometimes different countries even. And that, that sort of is very, um, that could be very helpful. Mm. Um, like us, we go to Comic-Con. We also go to other conventions. Yeah, it seems like you've gone to almost everything. I, I, there's hardly been a convention that I've been to that I haven't seen you there. And uh, Comic-Con, WonderCon, Animation Expo, uh, Des DesignerCon. Uh, I'm not sure whether all of those, but... Lightbox? Lightbox, yep. Nice. One of the things that we just didn't have the time to cover is how much has gone on there. I mean, the amount of the, the events and the shows and the things that have gone on and the panels and that kind of stuff. I know that it might not just, it might just be touting that, you know, hey, Gallery Nucleus has done this, this, and this. And Charlie may be able to just show clips to make some editing easier to just show all of that. But it really, the thing that has been so impressive over these last 17 years is just, it's not a large gallery but it is a happening gallery where you go there on Saturday nights sometimes and the line is, is down the yeah. block, you know, and, and uh, there's definitely a, a gala sense of uh, LA is descended on on Saturday nights at Gallery Nucleus. And uh, it's something that I know Ben didn't make a big deal about, but it's something I wanted to make a big deal about. I feel like that description is more appropriate anyway. Just you Yeah, you just that. said that. Yeah, yeah. That so was way it's in the episode now. Well, Ben, let, let me, let me uh, ask you this. You started out as an art student. You went out to be an artist and you were employed as a game artist. And then you decided to open Gallery Nucleus, which is not everybody's path. And the, the times we've talked in the past about how much is involved in that and how much learning you went through, through fire, and how much trouble you have had to figure out, okay, we've got to do it this way and that way. You've, you've given me some of the stories about the complexities and challenges of, of running a gallery. But the typical thing when you're taking on something that big is that you never get back to doing the thing you set out to do because you're 
curating and promoting everybody else, which you have. I'm around people whose careers have gotten started and whose careers have been augmented by how you have showcased them. In fact, we once likened you to the host of The Tonight Show, that if you get hosted on The Tonight Show, if somebody gets to be a guest on The Tonight Show, now everybody knows about you and the few people that, that, that get to get into the gallery, they get known. Okay, so that's, what, that's the role you're playing, but you still do artwork. I do. I try, I try to do a little bit here and there. What have you done recently? Um, well, the, the thing that I spent my last sort of, there's two main things I've done recently. One is I work, uh, on Wish Dragon with Chris Abelhans. That oh, was, cool. um, that was, uh, I did that as a part-time job for, I think I was on it for, God, I can't remember. It was at least a year, probably two, possibly two years. Almost what two was years. your role? So, my title on it was story artist. I did some storyboarding, but I did uh, a lot of visual development. Um, like I just doing like designing props, designing effects that happened in there, a little bit of character design. The great thing about that project is a small team. So, we got to kind of do a lot of different things. And also, the great thing about it was because I was there with Chris at the very beginning before the thing was even greenlit. Yeah. I was there to sort of like brainstorm with him and, and think about like, you know, various aspects of the story. Ben is the reason that Wish Dragon happened. When Chris tells the story, it's that uh, Ben took him to visit his family and, and the, he got the ideas there and he, he was oh, interacting with really? you and your family. Yeah, Ben was you the, guys the, went on a trip. The, the nexus of I'll that. Take, I'll take credit okay. for that. Uh, I'll take credit for that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And basically, it was like a... In uh, the World Expo, I think, I don't remember what year it was, but um, the World Expo happened. Uh, but before the World Expo happened, they were looking for mascot designers randomly. And we somehow, you know, my, they were contacting someone like a family friend of mine looking for artists to design these mascots or a mascot. And then they, they invited us out there and we, you know, and I invited Chris and we flew out there to Shanghai and it was it was a bit it was a bit surreal. Like we talked to some people, and they were just talking about mascots all day. Yeah, go hear the story from Chris. If uh, if you do, did not see the Wish Dragon interview, uh, Chris tells the story about how it got started, and he mentions you, shows a picture of you. What else? You worked on you've worked on move, games and movies, uh, and Wish Dragon recently. And the big thing that I've been working on uh, that, that came out recently, I worked on it for six years roughly, <laughs> is uh, my children's book, Desert Island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my first children's book. Um, I started pretty much around the time my daughter was born. Are you going to do a show of Desert Island of your originals? Oh, I already did. I already did. You did? And did you sell your work and take 50% for yourself <laughs> and 50% for the gallery? <laughs> I did make my work available. I think I would have probably would have, if it sold, 50% would have gone to the gallery which means like going towards expenses, employees, all that okay, stuff. Yeah. If you want to network and you're in LA and if you want to go to a Saturday night gig where a lot of good stuff happens, be on Ben's email list. Yeah. It's like Steve Jobs taking the $1 salary a year, but exactly. it all goes back exactly. into Apple and, and his expenses. Yeah. Great. So, how do, how do people, uh, if they go to gallerynucleus.com... <laughs> You can't do that. Pardon? You can't take a $1 salary. It has to be market. It has to make sense for the role you have. 
I thought that he had a uh, maybe, but that's not. I thought he had a one dollar salary, but it, uh, he had an agreement that all of his expenses were taken care of by by way of. Okay, I mean, maybe if all of his expenses were counted as part of his salary, then, then and maybe, I might but... be one hundred percent wrong. Okay, yeah, this might it's just, just you can't been... do that because that's like a you're trying to pay less taxes. I mean, it's oh, okay yeah. to tell it. Anyway, this is might be it, but you do have to give yourself a reasonable wage. Yeah, well, yeah, strike yeah. all that. And, uh, <laughs> ben, where do people go to find out about what you're doing? Please go to gallonnucleus.com. All our events are on there. All our upcoming stuff. You know, products, that's all on there. Um, if they want to check out Portland, go to nucleusportland.com. Check out what they're doing. They're doing some amazing stuff as well. Uh, for me personally, as an artist, it's benzudraws.com. And pretty much just my children's book stuff is on there. And, you know, all the links to my social and whatnot, they're all on that website as well. So, okay. yeah. Thanks for taking time with us and doing it from Gallery Nucleus. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ron. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Bye. Yep. All right. Have a good one. See you all.